Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 172. All we know about bonds and should we own some? Dividend Talk is your number one podcast for all things dividend and stock market related with a unique European flavor. My name is Derek from Engineer My Freedom and I'm joined with my co-host European DJI. If you want to learn more about us, please visit europeandji.com where we have articles on dividend growth investing, including 30 European dividend aristocrats. While you're there, you might as well grab our free dividend portfolio tracker template. We also offer a premium dividend growth service featuring a bi-weekly newsletter which includes stock deep dives, dividend stock cards and access to our dashboard with over 130 dividend growth stocks. All of this is based on our very own dividend safety analysis. But enough about that, please grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Hey, European DJ. It's been a busy week. <laughs> I haven't I haven't heard much from you until until today. Oh yes, that's uh, totally right. It's high season at our company. I am just full with work, and yeah, we have the newsletter right as well. So um, this weekend we will publish our new issue again. So yeah, it just keeps me busy. You know, it keeps me also off the street. My <laughs> wife is happy. <laughs> but uh, generally, yeah, it's just the season. I don't know how it's with you at work. Do you have seasonality? Yeah, yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. Um, this time of year, well, usually we do on day to day. But I'm in like capital projects as well, so that's depending on on projects. And we have deadlines. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we have we have some some big projects coming up and some big projects we're trying to close. So it's 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 extra busy at the moment. But that's the that's the nature of the beach. You go through times when you can sit back and relax so you got to take the good with the bad um yeah. and look another few weeks we'll have a few weeks off to recover it'll be christmas time and we yes can... yes i hope you will come to poland uh visit me we still haven't uh landed on this one yet but you should come you should come yeah, and do another uh we will gathering we will definitely make it not not over christmas but probably january i would say yeah that would be awesome and then we ask our polish listeners to join us in warsaw for a beer yeah and just talk about dividends it'll definitely definitely happen so uh, start maybe middle of february we'll 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 get a awesome book. awesome okay let's I, I think i think we have we have a pretty pretty packed show we're going to talk about something that we haven't ever talked about on this show which is bonds um and we'll get to that we'll get to that later but we have some quite some news um we might start with well there's three really good ones but we might start with germany um they are going all out to bring the brains back to germany aren't they they're, they're making some reforms um just to kind of keep the german industry taking over and stop us people uh, people emigrating to the us and taking all all our european talent um what do yeah. you make of of these reforms it's more like tax and i yeah i i'm 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 really happy with this to hear this for once you know the only thing i hear like dutch elections are going on now 
the left wants to increase even more tax on uh, everything that people work their ass off for and so it's refreshing to hear a country to say that they want to turn a little turn a little bit ship yeah because i was actually talking with someone not too long ago and i said like you know if there's one thing i really appreciate about americans is their tolerance for risk taking and their culture of allowing companies and people to fail yeah and we don't have that really in uh, europe and it so much helps uh, when you have a government that understands a little bit what it takes to be competitive in the tech industry yeah. so in this case it's about uh, stock based compensation right the startups so that uh, they only get taxed when they sell and not straight away um also capital gains tax rules will be changed so the startup employees are just tax on the profits they make when they sell their shares also um, um they also view this tax really in the in the light of you know most of those employees are young taking a risk risk in an unproven startup so it will really mean that also for instance uh, I said for companies up to thousand employees, I believe, and up to hundred million dollars or euros in in revenues, that these benefits will um, exist. Uh, it also means that we can see that they will allow such things like Facebook as dual class shares, where the where class A, let's say, keeps the ownership, and class B is then more for the um, employees in general public. Um, yeah, and, and this is what we know, generally speaking, that if you want to have uh, venture capital, that this is what they're looking at. So Germany is really trying to increase the attractiveness and to jump a little bit on the bandwagon of the tech industry. Uh, let's say it's never too late. Um, oh, okay. I don't have a lot of faith in the German economy from that point of view, because I don't know if you look at labor laws and everything, nothing seems to move um it's it's i mean I, I, it's not about bashing german industry because you see it in almost every european country right uh, there's nothing special there um so but if you look at the car industry and everything and, and yeah that doesn't give me a lot of um yeah good mood let's say like that so then seeing this news really caught my attention i felt really like whoa we have politicians understanding it and actually getting getting to pass legislation in this this is a big thing i thought it's it's, it's huge and and even from a broader sense a european sense it could be also huge because you would imagine there might be a couple of countries i'm thinking of the uk and france probably two of the big ones that might sit back for 12 18 months and see how this how this goes um and we, we might see them mimicking what what they're doing which will obviously be pretty good for for europe i mean i don't see much risk on the behalf of german German here in, in Germany. No. I mean, they might lose a few dollars in tax here and there, but they I think can only they, win out of this. Uh, exactly, yeah. they they can only win win. And I I really like the one where they don't have to pay tax from startups because that's really going to encourage people. Yeah. New ideas. Let's start. Let's go. And there'll be a lot of failures along the way, but they only need one or two to be really successful, like the next Amazon, and and it'll pay for itself. But I I think yeah. look, as as European, I'm I'm happy there's a European company finally standing up to do this, and I think. I think Germany's got a bit of a shock in the last while, particularly because their economy is so poor. They're under yeah. pressure from the US. Then there's tensions with China. All this is kind of yeah. coming to a head, and they finally decided to say, "Okay, let's be Europe. Let's be Europe again, or let's be Germany again, and let's start pulling back some power." So. Yeah, and they have some pretty smart cookies there. You know, yeah. I mean, 
uh, SAP exists. It's still yeah. a powerhouse, right? Yeah, of in course, tech yeah. industry, and there are a few other tech companies that are really well known. But what um, I said, the risk taking—that's that's kind of what I'm not really seeing a lot. Yeah. Maybe it's also not so visible to us. But also, if you look at the companies that really get out of it, you can count them on one hand. Yeah, and I think this is what they really want to improve and need to improve because yeah. America's really dominant in the tech industry and we need strong companies in europe like it's it, it's a blessing that we have asml and atien the payment processor as an example as well we need many more of those companies and why can't there be a social media giant uh, originating from europe why yeah. does it need to come from america can we really not invent the next facebook or instagram over here yeah, exactly, exactly. Look, I think I think it's positive all around, and I think it's a good intro actually into the next topic on on the news, which is Siemens, um, a German powerhouse, I have to say. And I am kicking, kicking, kicking myself with these guys. I remember they were under a hundred euro for a time. We we said it, buy them under a hundred, buy them under a hundred, and I just did not buy anywhere near enough. Um, twenty twenty three, they released their at least a quarter four earnings and then their annual report will, will follow shortly afterwards but you have to say it's been an, it's been a quite the year for siemens um record-breaking revenue uh rose seven percent to 92 billion their net income doubled year over year um to a record high um their free cash flow is now standing at around 10 billion and they raised their dividend to two uh, to four euro and seventy uh, cent, um, and that's up from four, four twenty five. It's been a blockbuster year from them. Um, the only kind of, I would say, I say blot, but the only kind of negative thing that I've seen in the report was their digital industries. Um, they are revenue kind of stay flat, but you can see their order started to decrease as some companies try to destock. Because when we had some issues with supply chains a lot of companies bought in advance and now they don't yeah. need to buy as much so you can see some orders kind of flattening out a bit but what a year from them we're, we're talking about german companies and german powerhouses this this was an incredible year from them and they're yeah. so well diversified across a range of spectrums that i believe are future proof yeah i think i think it's just an, an incredible company and, and i'm honestly kicking myself i did not buy more at 100 i should have just loaded up the truck and yeah and bought into them uh, there was also quite some controversy around this because they spun off energy, uh, Siemens Energy, right? And then yeah. Siemens Energy got, let's say, supported by the government. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that feels to some uh, people I noticed also on social media, like, well, you know, there was a bailout and, uh, you know, how dare you Siemens and uh, raise the dividend. But yeah, th those are technically now two different companies. And this yeah. is not the nice side of capitalism i kind of agree with that but look i've been so often on the other side that i'm actually for once like you know be, being cheering for myself <laughs> like oh god luckily this they they sold it on time usually it is too late right uh, yeah. I, I i get the stinky cat in the back yeah so is is that good management is it is it lucky is it made of both there's there's definitely some insider knowledge there definitely yeah i i i can't speculate on that i have no clue i know too little of the case i'm just happy um that it didn't hit me in my account as such so i'm just happy with siemens like you said it's a powerhouse one of those hey, german companies that uh, i'm really proud on having in my portfolio together with for instance munich re yeah 
Siemens and Munich, Munich RE are some shining stars in my portfolio, both from Germany here. Yeah. Yeah. And the last news of the week, which I have to say was a little bit unexpected. Um, and I don't know if you're happy or not happy, but Alibaba it is now a dividend paying company. I mean, I, I must tell you, I, when I bought Alibaba at $150, I had this strategic foresight <laughs> that they would issue a dividend once. I was doubting, will it be Meta, Google, or Alibaba? And yeah, you know, it was worth it. You know, uh, I took the ride from $150 to $80 now. Because yeah. I wanted to get this dividend, I have one percent yield. I mean, yes, exactly, exactly, half a percent yield on cost. Uh, <laughs> hey, but only way is up. The um, they is they up. have not committed yet towards a growing dividend, but uh, it's a no-brainer. In twenty-five years from now, this will be a, a dividend aristocrat. It's it's like I mean, it's Alibaba. You know, it's not like Alibaba and the forty row, uh, forty bandits, or what is it? So they will not come steal my money, although they did half of it, and then they give me like a dividend in return from their, uh, I said, from the treasuries. Yeah. But what 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 do you think overall? Do you think it's a good move from these guys? Um, well, you know, when do you pay a dividend? When you when think no that growth. you, well, not not so <laughs> not much no growth, growth, but yeah. If you if you have cash left and you can't get a, get a proper return with it, you give it back to your shareholder. Me in this case, and say like you know, f off with this money. Uh, find yourself a better return elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they pay one, and you know, it's cash flow rich. They've been buying back shares again. So you know, this stock is just hammered. Low P starts to pay a dividend. I think they're really trying to. Um, I sit please the shareholders i guess in a different way of return because in the past it was all around growth growth and i think they're yeah. now at the stage that they need shareholders because those managers also want to get their bonuses yeah. and if every year your eps is uh, going up but your share price is going down you know nobody wants to pay you a salary or uh, let's say a bonus so yeah yeah with, with all the uncertainty around china and china going through its own sort of economic downturn it's it's um to me honestly it was a surprise they've done it done it now as you said they've been crucified in share price but maybe they know the power of the dividend growth community and they they um they know we might start lumping in and drive that share price up and give them their fact yeah I, I i rumor says it that uh, jack ma is uh, is a really big fan of the dividend old podcast so jack if you're listening we're happy with the dividend. Thank you. I don't know what thank you is in Chinese, but uh, just imagine us saying it. <laughs> Perfecto. Uh, let's move on to some dividend hikes. We have a couple, a couple of notable ones. We mentioned Siemens with a nearly eleven percent hike from four twenty-five to four seventy, and um, DCC, the Irish company hikes their dividend 5% to 63. Uh, and the share price popped, right, also. So when they reported the earnings, uh, you know, I think that it's now in my portfolio, 15% up or something um, like wow. that DCC. And it's such a boring business. I mean, just reading the annual report makes you almost fall asleep. <laughs> yeah but but yeah it's uh it was heavily overvalued price popped up literally on this i mean of course heavily influenced the to energy so i'm glad that they didn't hike the dividend too aggressively just five percent so that they really can continue the dividend growth streak i believe 29 years now or something like that yeah so um 
I'm happy shareholder here. And, you know, they can also pop down, right, one time. But I do believe that the fundamentals are in a good shape here. Um, Nike, um, take us think about NKE, a 9% hike for them this quarter from yeah. three, uh, what was it, 34 cent up to 37 cent. I, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. And, and and even this brand is impressing me even more lately because my son is an early teenager. All those kids want Jordans, the Jordan shoes, the Jordan browser, the Jordan t-shirt. I mean, I think Michael Jordan by itself and, and the brand is worth... Uh, I don't know an S and P five hundred company, amazing. I, I don't yeah. know you. You have also son, right? Is he also a fan of Jordans? Uh, not not so much Jordans, but he does have Nike trainers that that he uses. But um, in terms of football boots, they love the Nike. It's Nike Miracles, yeah. I think they love. Um, yeah. So Nike is very and it, and even me, I go around and when I have when I'm a football dad. Everything I seem to wear is Nike. <laughs> it's just and this used to be Adidas in the nineties and the early two thousand, right? Also yeah. the football pitches. It yeah. used to be Adidas, Coupa Mondial, uh, these kinds of shoes. I was, I was Adidas Predators. Um yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. But now it's Nikes. I've, yeah. I'm also still all, all football shoes almost Nikes nowadays. So I, I don't know what it why it is, but I find them better than Adidas lately. Just yeah. more technology in there. Yeah, which is which is strange when we're we're advocating for European and German companies, and we're we're going over to the US to, to yeah. The, the football itself, Adidas is still like the most yeah. You know, the, the round one. Um, and then the last company we have here is Brown Foreman Corporation. Um, ticker symbol BFB. Forty consecutive years of dividend increases, and they've hiked up by six percent. And honestly, it's, nice. it's a company I'm not overly familiar with, but forty years is quite quite a record. Exactly. So. The main topic this week is all about bonds. James Bond, 007. But honestly, <laughs> should we own bonds? Um, I suppose you came up with the topic, and I will give you the pleasure of the well, reason. It, it's it. really yeah. simple, because this is not bond talk. This is dividend talk, right? But we got over the last few weeks several times this question, like, hey, with the yields uh, of the treasuries at uh, 5%, is now not the time to buy some bonds? and we we touched on it briefly in the show then but i felt like you know what bonds are really important uh consideration if you really think about asset asset allocation of your wealth and your investments so i felt like you know what we should really spend some time and sharing our knowledge around bonds and also say like in general how we look at it um here i think for for most people it's already a little bit known but maybe also there will be a bit of a surprise when we share our uh, uh, thoughts here um but then also like you know if if for instance treasury yields or bonds are now let's say i think treasury yield is now yielding 4.4 percent so you know why why invest in johnson and johnson for three percent then right that's also the question we often get so let's let's start talking a little bit about bonds and maybe you can introduce a little bit like just generally like what is a bond let's start yeah. in simple yeah. layman terms yeah i mean like uh, first of all before i get into that i think it's a fair question when you when you look at the treasury yields and you then look at a company like johnson johnson it's a fair question why why would you invest in johnson johnson over bonds so i can understand why why we're talking about this today um but if we go back to bonds let's bring it back to the real basics and, and what is a bond and in layman ter in layman's terms a bond is basically an IOU that an investor gives to a borrower. What is an IOU? Uh, an IOU? 
yeah i owe you <laughs> so it's a, that that's something like i have to give you something uh, yeah. because you paid me but basically you're giving money um typically to a government or a corporation and they're going to use that money to do whatever they have to so if it's a government they might use it to build roads and schools and public yeah. transport or, or take out loans and, and so on and corporations will use that money to maybe reinvest in a business or this is when we say that a company issues debt yes yeah? that's when exactly. we're talking about bonds yeah. and that's yeah. where those credit ratings comes in exactly and, and yeah. we're giving that that money but we don't give them that money for free we give them for what's called interest payments which is basically money sort of like dividends in some sort of frequency so it could be yearly monthly quarterly similar to, to dividends so depending yeah. and they depending call on, those officially a coupon i coupons, believe right yeah yeah officially yeah. They're, they're coupons um so yeah that that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell you're giving money to some sort of entity whether it's corporation or government and they're going to take that loan that you give them and, and use that for, for whatever and then pay you coupons in a regular interval to to yeah. what would you say compensate you for your for your loan yeah and then um you know i guess what's really important for listeners to know is that there's difference between a coupon and the yield of a bond so let's imagine, uh, and I think they trade often in thousands, right? So if you yep. want to buy a bond, often you need to pay, let's say, thousand, whatever it is, euro, pound, dollar, yeah? So um, what happens here is like if you buy, a, let's say, a bond with a 5% coupon rate, yeah, a 5, five, five euro coupon, on a 50 euro coupon on thousand, let's say like that, which is 5%, yeah? Um, you will get this 5%, each year as long of as the duration of the bond is let's say you buy a bond with a duration for two or three years let's say three years you get 150 euros in total three times 50 and at the end of the period you get your entire thousand euro back yeah your, your principal and you can reinvest that thousand euro then again for yeah. for the next yeah. bonds you want to buy however um this is not the same as when we talk about yield the bond yield because what, what can happen uh, and what happens is the bond price fluctuates. Yeah. So if, for instance, the interest or inflation is higher and the interest rates are, are changing, this influences the bond price. So what can happen is actually that your bond starts, I don't know, trading at um, 95 or 90 or something like that, or the other way around, 110 or 120. Yeah. And what you then need to do is you need to look at this 50 euro and divide it, for instance, by 950 euro if it's trading at that price. And suddenly, I don't know by heart, but you might be talking about 7 or 8% yield. And this is really important, uh, really important to know for investors um, because it's not just the interest coupon that you're interested in. It's also the price where you're buying it at. And this is where also maybe if we look at uh, already one of the risks here, right? When buying bonds, uh, there's a lot of money to be lost in a bond. If you if you buy um, and specifically if you wanna if you don't wanna hold them for the whole duration, so yeah. I believe it's the Austria bond. If you wanna if you wanna hold it for hundred years or something like that, what they issued, and you bought this like five years ago, the price went really. Um, uh, a lot down 
because it was first at a zero interest environment, a zero interest rate environment. Let's say it was almost at a thousand. But if we are now in a rate environment where it's like 5% is the expectation of the market or 4%, and that are over 100 years, uh, maybe like, just, let's say 90 years left, it can go, well, not to zero, but very, very, very low at that time. And then you still need to hold this bond 100 years. Yeah, yeah, bef uh, to to get your principal back and 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 the dividend, uh, sorry, the coupon payments over that time. So it isn't uh, to say that uh, I said investing in bonds comes without risk of capital loss. To the contrary, yeah, it's not it's not free money. Nothing. Oh no, nothing is free money. No. I, I think maybe sometimes that might be a little bit of a misconception. But you're you're completely right. When you're holding it for a long time, you can you can quite quickly lose a lot of money and it's hard to hold a bond when it drops so much for the full duration particularly if you're looking at a at a big a big time span like 20 30 30 years um, but maybe you might talk because there's different types of bonds isn't there there's not just one type of bond um yeah and this makes investing for bonds in bonds for me really difficult so yeah. you have for instance zero coupon bonds so they only only promise to pay specific single cash at a specific specified maturity so th that's purely capital gain that you're investing in then you've got the fixed rate bond so this this regular stable payment like five percent you've got a floating rate bond where the periodic payment is actually variable uh, for instance can be connected to the Euribor uh, here in, um, in in europe so this 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 rate is established by i, I guess i don't know the european financial institution and it can be even a mix of uh, that. But then we even have like mortgage-backed securities, uh, catastrophe bonds, uh, cover bonds, convertible bonds. I mean, there's a whole range of uh, of this. And it, it, if you want to invest in bonds, I think it, it deserves some attention to know. For instance, you might take a, a convertible uh, bond because that means that you can, uh, how you sit? uh turn those um turn that bond into shares you i think you have also the unsecured and then the secured that means like is a tot if it totally i'm not 100 percent uh, uh sure if i'm saying it right in english english is still not my mother tongue but it comes down to it in some cases if you buy a certain bond uh, you might have after the bank the second right on getting uh yeah. a claim on the assets yeah um as such and others not nothing at all so it's purely in good faith of management whether they will pay it back or not yeah. so uh, all these kinds of things are things to consider i would say when you're investing in the end it's your money yeah you don't want to lose your money that's usually when we talk about uh most people when they talk about risk they talk about i don't want to lose my money yeah but nobody wants to lose their money so yeah. Uh, yeah there's something different than volatility and risk right it, it does make it quite difficult starting out in bonds as you as you mentioned there's there's at least four or five six different options that you can have and and, and where do you start but typically i would imagine and and you mentioned austria but if you're thinking about a government bond is probably i would i don't know if i want to use the word safest but it's probably the easiest to understand and probably one of the best places yeah. to go like yeah. we had we had this whole whole thing in ireland years ago when when ireland were bailing out banks and so on so 
corporate bonds are, are another ones I, I would think so government and corporate bonds are probably the two I would stick with if I was if I was going in there because I would view them as easier to understand one <laughs> um, rather than say something like a mortgage-backed bond which to me sounds yeah. like an absolute headache um, and um, I think that's really for for specialists, specialists I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and what's also good to know is some bonds are just not accessible by the retail investors you might need uh, 100,000 or more or something like that to even be able to participate so um, I think this is a lot for pension funds and such that really need to have the proper asset allocation in place but for the retail investor it's uh, it's a it's a different story yeah. but maybe then a question like where can you buy bonds so I know you can buy bonds on the Gyro, um, for example. Yeah. So you can definitely buy some corporate bonds and government bonds on there. I'm not sure about interactive brokers. I haven't checked. Um, yeah. I haven't checked that. But the, the Gyro, 100%. You, you can buy some. So yeah. most, I would imagine, most brokers now have yeah. have options to buy to buy them. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, what's probably also uh, good to say is you can buy things via ETF as well. Um, I yeah. wouldn't personally really do it via an, an ETF because I think you've got even more interest rate risk there um, yeah. and it's not like an ETF per my understanding just pays out the principal at the end yeah, yeah. so you're really there in for the coupon rate and but you can also just buy them directly from the US government right so yeah yeah we program you can just go to their website and uh, and buy them we can buy Irish ones over here in what's yeah. called a post office. I don't know if you have something yeah. similar, but you can go down to the post office and and buy yeah. these bonds. And and lots of people actually quite do because they they see they're safe, they get the money back, and then they yeah they get a few extra bob into their account every every month. But yeah, we can buy we can buy them physically in person here. So yeah, um, so we have to address really a bit more the risks. I would uh, uh, would say for the bonds. So, because look, I mentioned already about the price, right? That can go up and down quite significantly, and you would be surprised uh, they they sometimes trade as wild as uh, stocks, yeah, because it's heavily involved by the interest rate uh, uh, risk. In changing interest rates, will typically uh, lose, for instance, uh, in the bond value. So, uh, in simple terms, when the interest rates go up bond prices go down when the interest rates go down bond prices go up so if you think that the interest rates that we are now seeing from the US government let's say 4.4% is at the top and you think we get back to zero interest rates again or 1 or 2% and then then this might be a great time to earn money but that comes to the second risk because that's the duration risk you can speculate on this if you take long-term bonds with a long duration yeah if you buy a bond which which is maturing uh let's say in a year from now yeah then then don't expect too much right uh, if it has like a three percent coupon rate it's 4.4 yeah. you pay probably 98.60 or something like that and that and that's it and if it goes up you you, you win a dollar yeah, but if it's like 30 years out, yeah, you can make a lot of money by changing interest rates. So um, uh, sounds sexy sometimes as growth investors or speculators, right? Um, but you have also, you know, default risk. Yeah, yep, company can just go down. That's, I, I guess, the, the coupon rate they pay for it. Yeah. But another one is very, very important, I think, 
and and this also comes down to my issue later currency risk if you buy uh, let's say treasuries us treasuries now at uh, 1.09 us dollar for for euro right uh, currency a week ago it was 1.06 there that's three percent almost different already so in this case when it went from 106 to 109 then i believe the value goes down yeah and um, but it can also go the other way so you can lose a lot of money on this so what do professional uh, investors do they buy insurance and the insurance uh, to hedge the currency typically could be between one and two percent depending on the volatility and, and the yeah. market so if you then have a 4.4 percent u.s treasury bond and you would insure insure it also for one half percent you still have three percent so the the simple rule of thumb is always buy bonds in your own currency so if you if you can buy for instance uh, a bond for three percent with the same let's say maturity and duration compared to 4.4 percent of the us one so dutch via us let's say yeah then go for the dutch one because you don't need to buy insurance on your currency risk and and you should be fine now you can argue like hey uh, edj and derek why do you now mean uh, mention currency risk compared to when yes. you're investing in dividend stocks and um, when i'm investing in dividend stocks um diversification plays a role in my portfolio but we have growth behind it dividend growth and the, all these kinds of aspects you don't have that with a bond yeah with your bond the only thing you get is your coupon rate and your principal and we get more we get growing dividends we have companies that grow their earnings so there's generally capital appreciation there is only capital appreciation what i mentioned on a bond because of the interest rate yeah not because the fundamentals of the bond are changing or something like that yeah, yeah. so currency just becomes a way bigger factor when investing in bonds so advice is always to be in um, in your own currency investing you you can try but uh, to 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 go for us but you're kind of speculating then also in the currency but it means for me in a in a slotty or a dominated uh, country or I, I live in the in the slotty country yeah for me i would have the risk with euro bonds again yeah yeah you're quite you'll be quite more limited than me because i'm a euro based so there's, there's plenty yeah. more bonds that that we could buy but it's 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 funny how stark the contrast is between bonds but we're talking about the risks and bonds are compared to dividend stocks because when we talk about dividend growth stocks and we're asked about macroeconomics all the time and we did a show about macroeconomics as well and and two of us basically at the end of it said yeah factors are there but we don't really pay attention to them yeah with bonds you need to pay attention to them yeah they're, they're at yeah, the yeah. core of everything you do and sometimes you feel that's that's what's happening with investors they're they're using similar styles for different types of asset classes and and, and it spills over but definitely with bonds you need to look at the currency you need to be looking at if the, is the war happening here you need to be looking at what's happening yeah. what what can influence interest rates what can influence your currency dropping yeah. and what can influence inflation so it's it's definitely i would say more hands-on if if you want to manage a bond portfolio compared yeah. to compared to our strategy and um, but it's not all bad look we, we mentioned some risk but obviously there's some good points about bonds 
Um, and probably one of the most uh, commonly said ones is you've got stable, predictable income. Um, and I suppose, look, as, as dividend growth investors, that's exactly what we want, isn't it? We do want stable, predictable income. Um, it's not quite exciting. Um, you you mentioned you get 5% every year, so you know for the duration pretty much what, what you're going to get in terms of return, but it is stable. And coming up, see, it doesn't make much sense at the moment, but coming up to retirement, I can see why this would be more appealing to people because you can kind of count on the return you're going to get. With dividend income, it can be caught at any time at the discretion of a company. Yes, that's entirely true. And, um, you know, stable again, when you have short term mm. uh, duration, right, in bonds. Yeah. And then, and, and generally also bonds, they just leave you, I think, let you sleep generally better at night because they're not so volatile. We just spoke about the benefits of uh, uh, buying dividend stocks because they grow, for instance, in earnings. But if they don't grow, <laughs> Then it goes the other way around, right? And we, I, I was a bit uh, just laughing with a toothache about Alibaba. But yeah, I'm half 50% uh, the miners or something like that. And it won't recover. At least with a bond, you get your principal back. Yeah. So um, also the interest rates on bonds, they tend to be a bit higher than the saving rates at banks or, or when, when you think about term deposits. So that's also a benefit of uh, bonds. And generally, bonds typically also give you kind of discussion during a recession. Yeah, so when when all the stock market is declining and interest rates falls and such, usually the bond price gives you this hedge in the in your portfolio. Yeah, because what would need to happen if there is a recession, then then Fed Powell and uh, Lagarde they will start cutting interest rates. Or well, we just saw the uh, impact of it, right? So if interest rates go go down, bond prices go up. Yeah. So uh, they they give you this hedge in your portfolio at the same time um, as well. Yeah. And then this brings me also a little bit to what we really have to discuss. This is asset allocation, right? So if we answer ourselves, should we own bonds? Then I think it comes to also the wider asset allocation. And I think there are two rules of thumb that you can look at. Uh, one of the most Popular one is a 60-40 rule. So, you you know, and it has been considered for very long profitable, which is like take 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. So the bonds give you this, uh, this, this, this resistance and drawdowns when the stock market is going down. Um, so this is a very popular portfolio allocation uh, example. And the other one is the size by age. So uh, think about, for instance, um, the pro proportion of stocks in your portfolio is generally defined uh, by 100 minus the age of the investor. So if you're a young, a young listener here and you're like 20 years old, you should have, for instance, 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds. If you're a little bit older, 70, it should be the way around 30% in stocks and 70% in bonds. I like this rule of thumb, but yeah. I'm not applying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Of of the two of the two examples there, I think I prefer the one by age as well. I think I think I think it makes the most sense. The, the younger you are, the more risk you should be willing to take. Is the longer you have, yeah, to, exactly, to, to make money, exactly. Um, in in my opinion, so it it makes sense. I might not necessarily agree that when I get to 
70 or, or whatever 60 that i have more in in bonds because I, I still feel like i will always have more in the stock yeah. market but it could be closer to a 50 50 split at, at that stage i don't know but for me it makes more sense definitely portfolio. it's also all about your risk tolerance of course yeah yeah, yeah. How, how much do you want to lose of your principal do you want your kids to have certainty to inherit a certain amount of wealth yeah then yeah. you probably want to better do it in bonds on the and, other end, if you if you see risk as volatility, yeah, then you should be better in stocks, fully in stocks. Yeah, yeah. but then you have to look at the timing of it as well. So it make it made no sense for me five years ago for anyone nah. to be buying bonds. Let, let, exactly. Let, let's be honest. Go back to your simple rule of thumb up there. <laughs> Interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Interest yeah. rates are at zero percent. There's only yeah. one way bond prices could go. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. It, it it made no sense. So uh, I I can see. I I think yeah, rules at home are nice, and having sixty forty is nice. But you have to look. You have to look at the wider picture and think. Okay, does it make sense for me to own them now? No. Okay, let's let's yeah. let's move on. So I think that has to play a part in it. But one one topic we didn't touch on, which is always interesting, is the topic of taxation. Um, mm. And how would a tax compare to, say, dividend stocks? Um, yeah, well, actually, this is taxation on coupons, right? On the interest payment. Yeah. Generally speaking, um, I said, uh, there's a tax on interest. Now, I don't know what it is for each country. Um, in Poland, it's the same as tax on dividends and tax on capital gains. It's all 90%. But in some countries, this might be different. Some countries, actually, tax on interest might be uh, lower. Um, but also, for instance, taxation on capital gains. Uh, uh, gains. So if you sell it before the maturity of the bond, then it may be that your capital gain is, for instance, taxed with 15%, yeah, depending on the country where you live in. And, and if you hold it to maturity, you might not need to pay tax. So you need to take these kinds of fin things in consideration depending on the country yeah. um, that, that you live in. Uh, what is important, generally, coupon taxation is not paid at source. Yeah, This is different than with dividends. So you pay it in your country. Um, yeah, I guess that's probably the, the, the most one. There may be some government bonds that are also tax-free uh, yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but I think... This and this is also really where it makes it so complex for me. Bonds. We spoke already about the type of uh, and amount of bonds. We spoke about the currency risk. We spoke about how to buy bonds. Yeah. So, for me, it it almost becomes already uh, an investment profession or style on its own. Where you need to study everything, almost like what we are doing with stock picking. Yeah. If you are going in the bonds, I think you also always need to do your due diligence uh, here and also you can't borrow conviction yeah, <laughs> when it comes to bonds yeah yeah and, ta and, and tax tax is a pretty big one to, to consider i believe and look i don't know about europe but i know in in ireland for example we've got that's also it, europe the last time uh, i checked yeah but, but did you float away so far <laughs> that it's now uh, becoming uh, latin america <laughs> we're, we're on the coattails of brexit and we're just we're hanging on to <laughs> hanging on to the uk but we we have so bonds is, is tax similar to dividends in terms of income tax. So the interest or coupons you get are taxed at your nominal rate, which is the same as dividends. Capital gains is also taxed the same. So that's 33%. But what bonds actually have 
or some bonds, not all bonds, they have this what's called a DIRT tax, D-I-R-T, which is a deposit interest rate tax. Um, and that's also charged at 33% on some of your savings. Um, so that's an additional tax that you have to pay. Um, some bonds have an exit tax that you have to pay. And, and then, like you said, there is government bonds that offer incentives um, for you to, to buy it. And generally what the, those incentives are is that you don't pay door tax, which is an additional tax you don't uh, pay when you're a dividend grown investor. So, uh, I mean, yeah. there's, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's definitely a lot more complex, I feel, than investing in stocks in, in yeah. terms of. So, so no, yeah, no, by the way, before we, before I ask you the question, uh, guys, you hear us already talking. Uh, we don't know about your countries. We're not so knowledgeable about that, like when it comes to dividend taxation. So please really get in touch with a tax advisor before you hit the buy button on the bond. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we, we are not the biggest fan of disclaimers and such because we're, we, we feel like we have smart people that listen to us. They can do their own work, own work and we try to share our knowledge for their benefit. But in this case, really, guys, check with a tax advisor because you don't want to be screwed in the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose the question you're going to ask me is, yeah. do I want to own bonds? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know what right now the answer would be no not in not in this moment and i'll tell you why i classify myself as a dividend growth investor but emphasis is on growth that's that's the key mm -hmm. word that's that's the one you need to put yeah. in caps um and i feel you don't get that from from bonds with with dividend growth investing and with my age i'm i'm still under 40 just about <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm getting there but i still feel like i'm young enough that I can still take those risks in the stock market. I don't need to, I don't need that steady income right now. I'm, I'm not retired, I'm not relying on that income. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much focusing on that growth phase. We, we call it the accumulation phase. And I don't see bonds as part of that. Um, as I approach retirement, um, whether it's financially free retirement or maybe it's from, from my job by the time I get to 60 or 70, uh, they might, play a little bit of a part in, in my portfolio but but certainly for the moment i'm i'm definitely more focused on on growth and growing my portfolio rather than stabilizing it at the moment yeah well plus one i have kind of the same philosophy uh, here um i also find bonds riskier than 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 stocks and it's not because of let's say the volatility behind it but just my knowledge, I've built so much knowledge around dividend growth investing that I feel kind I feel kind of confident that my portfolio will grow when I zoom out over 10 years. And my portfolio is also designed like that, that I don't need to sell my portfolio during a recession or parts of my portfolio because I'm 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 expecting dividend income and also I will make sure I have a margin there. Uh, for to 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 be able to carry a few dividend cuts during the worst recession we might ever experience. So from that point of view, I think I have my safety baked in. Uh, it it does mean like uh, from that point of view that I that I embrace volatility here because with bonds you just have it uh, less. But okay, like Peter Lynch says, volatility is my friend. But uh, to your point, if I would be 60, 70, I think I might start looking different at that. Now, where where I want to maybe uh, do a little bit with bonds, because what I'm now doing, I have cash on my account, on my savings account, because I'm saving up for 
a car, right? My car is a certain age, and I think in three, four years from now, I need to buy a new car. Well, you've seen the car prices. <laughs> they are not cheap. So um, what I'm thinking of, instead of putting it in term deposits, what I'm doing now, maybe I will start exploring, can I put some money in a bond for a year, let's say with a maturity of a year or 18 months, and just start to experience really how easy it is for me to buy bonds via the brokers and such yeah. um, here, just to, to gain some experience um, and, and take matter in my own hands. Yeah, yeah, and, and relatively low risk over a shorter time period, I, I would imagine. So. Very, very good. Look, as European DJ said, that's our thoughts on bonds. Um, we're by no means experts in this subject, so please go see a tax advisor if you need any help on this subject. But always a fun and interesting topic, and sometimes it's nice to talk about something other than dividends to give us an appreciation for dividends in, in general. Um, and with that, we might move on to some listeners' questions. Um, and we'll start with the first one, which is from Baz. And I'm guessing this is for you, European DJ. And he's asking, do you continue and are you a stickler for the rule of not buying anything below a yield of 2.75? 90% of the times, yes, with exceptions. My exception that I made the other time is I bought Evolution Gaming, which was yielding at 2% because I expect really large growth there. Yeah. But otherwise it really just doesn't make sense for me yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing it doesn't make sense for me if you think about uh i mean imagine buying apple now at 0.6 percent they're growing the dividend by 10 percent per year i mean it will take 40 years for it to hit 10 percent yeah. or something like that or 30 years it, it, it doesn't contribute to my portfolio right now of course, I have a lot of Apple in my portfolio, but that's because of capital appreciation, nothing else. So, uh, Buzz, yeah, generally, yes, but if there is an opportunity like Evolution Gaming, or if suddenly Visa will trade at 2.5%, I will buy Visa, yeah, because they've been able to grow the dividends by 15 or 16% each year. But for most stocks that are in, in my passing my stock screener, I, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's it's a it's an easy rule to stick to right now, um, because everything there's there's lots of actually really good companies that that are above that. Maybe it's not so easy when you ask when we're at the height of a bubble and and everything is trading. But I've been months. doing that. I've been yeah. doing it at the twenty twenty one top of the bubble as well. There's always there there are always some stocks or a sector that is out of favor. So yeah. um, I've not had ever the issue not able to find a stock at all to buy. Nice. Um, Neil has asked us um, about what sectors would we look at in the current market um, other than real estate investment trusts and financials, which we all know are pretty depressed at the moment. Yeah, for me, consumer staples have been cooling down. Uh, Ahol, 26 euros and change. Target, uh, well, they, they popped up after their earnings this week by 90%, but still in a relatively attractive price. So I would say some of those consumer staples are um, interesting again for me. I expect uh, actually that it becomes a little bit even worse because I still think like the, the consumer is, is tied in their wallet. Um, so let's see how that develops. But yeah. consumer staples, yeah. Yeah, consumer staples is kind of going under the radar a little bit. 
Um, anything but technology, I suppose, is, is probably suffering some bit at the moment. Um, and one other area yeah. I'm looking at is is um, investment trusts because they are yeah. trading at, at huge discounts to NAV um, at the moment as well. So I think yeah, they are they're definitely worth interesting. And what's interesting, um, I, I was in touch with Neil the other day because his son uh, uh, is, is doing a stock analysis and you will probably make a, a guest post on my blog. So this oh. is really exciting, right? That um, we can help someone's son with gaining experience and such. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share a stock or is it a, a surprise? Well, I, I gave three stocks um, for, for, for the person, but I will let the person uh, uh, decide which to choose uh, and make the final article on. So, but I hope in, in in the upcoming few weeks you will you will see an uh, article popping up, and it will be his first article ever. Yeah. So let's see. Yes. I'm coaching him a bit, helping a bit with what to look at, and let's see how that goes. Awesome, awesome. Well, well done, well done to Neil and, and to your son, and obviously to you for for giving your time. Yeah, I wish that we. I first of all, I wish that, so, that I was interested in finance at that age, yeah. and I wish that I had a father that uh, connected me with some people. Uh, in this space uh, to learn and and to be able to uh, get public with that so yeah awesome i look forward to i look forward to that article um philippe has asked us um he's a beginner investor and he's asking where do you search for in screen stocks and companies for a further deep dive and um, obviously there's plenty of tools and pages for us markets but for us lonely europeans over there where do we go um well that makes it a bit harder so you will have a, a few websites um there uh, philip what i will do just in the description of this podcast uh, look at uh, the link to a stock screener article that i have on the blog you will see there i try to address this uh, topic as well i think a website like marketbeat uh, allows you to screen a little bit but the issue is that typically the dividend yields are not reliable so uh, as you may know by now we started our newsletter it gives access to a beta dashboard as well we included there a bit of a screener it's of course limited to the dividend growth stocks that we put in there so it has about what is it 80 80 european dividend growth stocks yeah around that yeah it will grow over time but you know if you think about public free available it's really hard philip because also what comes to the screen and you can't necessarily trust and what also means is that you might have companies that are getting filtered out because of some some incorrect settings which is also a pity so you still don't get the the right stocks on your radar yeah yeah it it, it is tough and it's it particularly hard when you are looking for european companies because um, if you search if you search for us companies there's lots of different blogs and, and articles but you, let's say you want to find companies in holland most of the articles will be in Dutch, <laughs> and you know, and so you have to rely on Google translating. And Google's clever enough to know, hey, you don't speak Dutch, so it's not even going to give you the <laughs> give you the articles in in the Netherlands, for example. So it, it is quite difficult. You have to rely a lot, I think, on community members. We we get a lot of stocks thrown at us. Um, I wouldn't know half of them only for doing the podcast and and the blog. So I I, I can feel your pain. Um, but yeah, like you said, we're we're going to try our best to build that specifically for europeans because i feel that's that's what we're missing um but it's a lot of manual work as you can imagine um so it's a work in, in progress for us but uh, finviz is another one i find quite interesting as well for for european companies 
Um, Marcian has asked us, if you have two companies being in some kind of duopoly, operating in the same sector, similar to one another, what would you do? Would you buy both or would you make the best case you can to pick one and stick with it? There are sometimes cases to buy both and sometimes not. I would still look at the quality of the business. For instance, AT&T versus Verizon. Yeah. yeah. If you looked at the balance sheets and, and management performance, Verizon would have been probably a better case with the knowledge we have today. But if you think about Visa and MasterCard, I would generally always go for the best. Always go for the best. Um, but in other cases, like, you know, you can buy Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Yeah. So it really depends case on case. Like in a duopoly, there can be two companies that both have an excellent balance sheet, excellent track record, and they keep each other in check. Buy them both. It can also be that one is just really pristine balance sheet and the other one not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. you. You can make a case for either. Um, I think the better you understand the market that they're in, the easier it will be for you to pick one and understand which one is generally better. If if it's not obvious when you're looking at, at the financials, it's not popping out. If you understand the market, yeah. it's easier. But if you don't say, for example, Visa and MasterCard, I would not see any issue in that. But yeah. then you're forgetting about America Express, which is yeah. in there as well. So it's not yeah, quite but you even being in a monopoly or a duopoly it doesn't protect you from stupid management no I mean, look at what at&t has been doing what an idiots what an idiots it's unbelievable and 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 they are kind of in duopoly i mean they have also t-mobile us and such right there which was a competitor because that's also one of the issues with uh, duopolies there are limited incentives for management to give their utmost best because there's limited competition yeah, so management management by might be even more full of shite. Uh, sorry yeah. for my language of themselves, uh, and and just ruin the business into the ground. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and and you probably shouldn't let the fact that it's a duopoly make you lazy and not yeah look at both companies because as you yeah, said, true. management management can hurt a company quicker than <laughs> quicker than anything else. And and, um, and Derek, the guy is called Machin. Ah, give me a break. I, I do my best <laughs> to pronounce these names. I mean, we've got simple names over here. Now. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce the, half the alphabet and stuff over, over there. So I, I apologize. I think I've done this a hundred times already with, with names. I, I really do my best. So please, <laughs> please accept my apologies for my poor pronunciation. Um, so the next one is a nice, easy name. It's Tim. And Tim's a, a regular listener and obviously a moderator for us over on Facebook. But he's asked us a question about diversification or valuation. Um, when you're in the accumulation phase, which one would you prioritize? Um, valuation. Valuation. Yeah. I mean, come on. Look, really simple. If you start, you buy your first stock, you will not be diversified. You've got 100% single stock risk. Then you buy a second stock, then you buy a first stock. So it, it makes not a lot of sense in your first one or two or three years even. Yeah. For me now, after nine years of investing, yeah, if I will be still putting everything in energy stocks, woof, uh, too much wealth uh, at risk. But yeah. you, you have no choice in your first year, really. I mean, yeah, well, what, what sense does it make to buy 
20 different stocks at the same time it, it, and buy an ETF it also depends on how much money relatively you're you're applying if you're if you're going to put a couple of 100k into the market you probably might want to diversify um but if you're if you're like most investors yeah, that, true, that we true, know and true. we talk to that are doing this out of their paychecks month to month year to year yeah um then definitely i think valuation comes into play yeah you're 100 right yeah um killian another nice <laughs> irish name take i can do the irish names um he's asked us about uk financial stocks um we've mentioned lots in the past um and he's asked us about aviva it's a, an insurance company um i'm not sure if you you know them um, they're quite popular over here in the uk and ireland honestly i know that they pay a nice hefty dividend yield um, but i haven't looked into them um i haven't felt the need that i have to i have a couple of insurance stocks in my company and i don't really want to add any more um but by all accounts i know that they are a good european dividend paying uh, uk dividend paying company and i'm sure they're saying it's it's quite well regarded over there but i haven't generally looked at them in terms of um in terms of owning them myself i do have insurance from them uh full disclaimer my car insurance is, is with aviva so i'm familiar with with their products but no i i um, haven't haven't looked into them completely to give you a full and honest answer on that so apologies yeah. um and gustav has asked us if you had a spare room in your house dedicated for your dividend stocks hobby what would it look like well a little bit like my room that i am in now i'm thinking uh, the same big white screen on my desk for the podcast uh a second uh, screen for for reading the annual reports and uh a filing cabinet here with with some old annual reports that i had but i i, I would want to have everything digital nowadays um brandon van der zee if he's listening thank you because i've got four berkshire Hathaway ducks here um i've got the book from and i see it also with you lying there from charlie munger the almanac yes so yes. that's how it would be de decorated i've got the wall street investor cheat sheet uh canvas on my wall as well with the psychology of the market so yeah pretty much like this but what i'm missing is a tv <laughs> with some uh access to cnbc or something like that but this yeah. is tricky because i don't want to be fooled into uh market day-to-day -day price up and down i want to protect my mind from these kinds of impulses at the same time so maybe that's why it's not hanging on the wall but uh actually gustav i'm living that life <laughs> i've got the spare room for myself it's uh it's so funny you mentioned the tv because yesterday i my wife is asking what to get me for christmas i'm like i don't need anything blah 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 and she kept pushing and pushing it and said you know what i need is a tv so over my desk here i want to put a tv there not for cnbc i want to put my portfolio up there that's going to update every day tell me what dividends is due what dividends i'm going to get this week and it's just every time i look up it'll be there and, and then maybe on the side like a newsreel that lord magically update for the companies in my portfolio so when i'm sitting here just relaxing have all that information there without having to do that that's but, but you really need to program this sound into it like when you get a dividend like catching catching <laughs> yeah might drive my wife mental <laughs> but I'll, i i might do that because her room is just right on the back of that but that'd be awesome yeah every time you could program it right 
Of course you can, yeah. You can you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in GitHub so that others can benefit from it yeah. as well. Kaching, kaching. Uh be nice. Yeah, but that's uh, I um, once asked the hero if they could implement this, right? Um like like when you get a dividend payment on your phone, um that, that it would give a notification because trading two one two does it yeah. on your phone, but that it yeah. would also say then kaching based on the <laughs> dividends. So they said they would suggest it to their ad development team, but uh, two years later, I haven't seen this feature yet. But I would love it. Imagine you're sitting in the office, in a, in, in such a call with with others, and suddenly <laughs> in the background, ding, and they would say like, "Dan, you're also a dividend growth investor." <laughs> uh, they call me the boring dividend growth investor. I'm working now at this stage. Uh, yeah. It was actually what someone called me. Yeah, um, yeah. they were they were talking about. Um, was some in work they have these um it's like a lotto within within the workplace and yeah. the winner can win like a 20k prize and in a meeting there was about 30 people there and said ah i really hope derek doesn't win it because he'll do something boring um like invested in these boring dividend stocks <laughs> and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're right <laughs> so the fact that you're building wealth is considered boring i mean it says so much about the psychology of of, of the investors right it, it's it's brilliant but hey the speculation is the way that's for sure not boring yeah <laughs> um okay i think we have a couple more questions uh we'll try to get through um and Reitz has asked us um he's mainly into dividend growth stocks um and about 30 percent into growth stocks so he's a mix of two recently he started selling options to further increase his returns for now he just sells cover calls and cash secures puts his question is if you're buying shares with limit orders or you are price anchored anyway would you not always sell puts at your strike strike price instead of just placing normal orders seems like you're just leaving money on the table or is he overlooking something in his enthusiasm uh yes he's overlooking one simple thing is if you want to buy 100 shares of microsoft poof i don't have that cash lying on the table the cash that i have lying on the table is typically my monthly savings so when you think about it and, and let's say it's 2k let's say 2000 what can you then you need to look at uh, stocks that are trading for less than 20 euros yeah yeah so I, the 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 other side of it is that if you truly want to own this company mm -hmm. there's no guarantee that it's going to come down to your strike price ever and i'm going to use yeah. microsoft as as the example yeah Let's just say you had the 20k to invest. They were trading at one. Uh, you mean uh, 36k? In this no, case. at 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 the time, maybe two or three years ago, when, yeah. they, when they were trading at like 180, and you're like, ah, I want to buy these at 170. Or when they were trading at 200, you want to buy them at 180. Mm -hmm. And you you place your strike price at 180. They're never coming back to 180. So you can lose the opportunity to. Eric, I don't know, but I'm not investing 18k at once into a single stock in my portfolio. No, <laughs> it's not the. It, I'm I'm not the market moving will. The 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 money there is irrelevant. I think the theory behind it, whether it's a 20 20 euro stock or 180 euro stock, it, it doesn't matter. You can you can put your puts on, but it might never come back down to that price, and you might lose the opportunity of buying them. I, I'm happy that you say the theory. Yeah. Yeah, because that's not what practice means. 
Practice means if I would need to invest now 18k into stock because it gets uh, exercised, um, I would be on margin for quite a significant uh, one. And then I, I I will be thinking like, yeah, shit, I need to I need to sell this stuff again because I need to start paying interest on this. I don't have the capacity to just figure out 20k somewhere. I would then need to pull from my emergency funds, which are which they are not supposed for. Or I would need to sell other stocks to do it, or sell straight away. But you know, if if you if it gets, for instance, exercise at 180 and it's at that time trading at 170, you make a thousand dollar loss in this example, yeah. which is a lot. Which is a lot. It can wipe out the entire year of uh, uh, options at, in one go. So no, it's 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 for me like uh, with limit orders give. I don't have this risk of this so and and this i think indeed where enthusiasm kicks in so i do a bit of option trading on stocks i want to own but those stocks are never really really trading more than 30 or 40 euro because then it would be like two or three months savings i could probably yeah. collect it also if i would then sell it i can take the loss then we're talking about 100 or 200 euros lost yeah i can easily cover that but i cannot do it for 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 these stocks that are i mean thinking about buying an amazon put yeah or linde have you thought about linde <laughs> no not, not in no. terms of books but no so so i generally agree with this thinking yeah like uh, if you are very knowledgeable in option trading and and you feel that oh, i want to own them anyway i have that with a few stocks it happened to me even in the past that i bought the 100 shares because of that as a result but i do this on shocks stocks with uh, a small small uh, share prices because yeah. i can't afford it on the on the on the larger ones yeah, and it, it's probably i mean again it depends on how much you want to own that company if if you're willing to wait and take the chance that the share price might never come back to where you want it to. Then, then yes, it's okay. A... But to take Microsoft in case again. It's not trading at three hundred sixty dollars. Mm. Let's assume your fair value is two hundred fifty dollars. You sell a put at two hundred fifty dollars. You get you're happy with the return you get on this. Would you want it to be from day zero, and then suddenly to the next day to be your largest position in your portfolio entirely? And the yeah. fact is, are you then still so convinced about $250? Because it's easy to say at $360 yeah. that you want these shares at $250, but then suddenly they're trading at $220. Yeah. Because this is what option trading, my experience is, right? It's 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 not as easy as it sounds. It's tough. And, and the psychology does play a big part, particularly when you are buying puts, like you said, or selling puts, and the market is dropping um i would say in the last 18 months it's probably been really difficult to be um a put seller so it, it's it's not without risk I, I i do get it and it's something we all do you can buy it but again there's there's always you're getting a premium but there's there's a risk behind that and like you said depending on what you're limited to in terms of your budget you might pick up some premium but is that going to match or be as more if you put that into some other company like a dividend and actually start receiving dividends straight away um, yeah so there's there's 
plenty to think about. It's it's not straightforward, but lots of people do it. Um, it depends on. Well, I do option trading as well. I sell some puts. I sell a few covered calls. Um, it is to his point. It is on stocks I want to own. It is on stocks that I don't mind selling uh, if it really happens. So I'm selling cash secured. Uh, so I'm selling covered calls on Exxon Mobile, for instance. Uh, long-time listeners know, know that I'm not having the best opinion about the company as a whole compared to Shell or Chevron. Um, and it's been doing me really well because yeah. I'm selling the call at $110. It's it's never really touching them around the strike price, but I all the time get like four or five dollars as a as a as a I said um as the income out of that. Yeah. So it earned me this year already probably twenty twenty five dollars overall, which is a good return on the on the on the stock trading this year around hundred dollar all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I just think it was important to highlight some of the risks because we know that twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, this was probably the biggest out of cash machine um, yeah. out there, and it seemed like it was easy. And and to be honest, it was a little bit easier when the market was going up because. You were nearly always going to make money, but particularly in this type of market, it, it seems a lot harder. So um, there's risks involved. I think most of us have done it or still do it, um, but it's it's um, just be careful with, with options. Yeah, be really careful. Um, Frugal Cashflow has asked us, if the yield and fundamentals were right, how low of a market cap would you buy? until the liquidity risks outweigh the mispriced opportunity i find this hard to say i own the pharma uh, what what is the market cap on the pharma at the moment it must be also like uh, uh that effectively uh let me check the pharma market cap uh, 110 that, million yeah 100 million effectively and i own the pharma there's limited liquidity there um tricky one really tricky one but i really really believe in the future prospects of this company i have no issue owning them um yeah is the it's not even a mispriced opportunity i think it's a relatively fairly priced opportunity but i expect lots of growth there and i expect the dividend to follow um yeah yeah it's i mean again it depends on your time frame on owning companies if you believe in the long-term future of a business and you have no intention of selling them for five ten years it's probably a lot easier to to invest in in low low cap companies but i don't really have that many if any that i can think of in my portfolio it's all medium to, to large cap i don't have the family so i'm not in yeah. i'm not in that bucket well i've got also chestnara uh from from the uk the insurance company i don't know exactly what their market um, uh, cap is oh, i see a 400 million and i own ambra um and what's their market cap it is probably also something like 125 million i guess something like that so yeah and tiago has asked us about medical equipment companies um have you looked at any what do you think of them well, I've been looking at Metronics the other day, and yeah, 
they are not a good cash flow machine at the moment. I would say at a certain moment, the risk reward will be in a favor. Yeah, if you can get Metronic for $1, it's of course something different. It's no brainer, around $70, probably fairly priced, but not happy with the no growth in cash flow there. And I think this business generally has been struggling. I was surprised by Johnson Johnson. They had, after many, many years, they had like a eight or nine percent growth there in their business. It was mainly due to, in my opinion, favorable pricing power in an inflationary environment. Yeah. Okay. Um, tough business to be in. Tough business to be in. Yeah, it's a very, very, very tough, tough business. Um, it's a lot of competition. I don't know if yeah. what the margins are like, but I'd imagine they're, they're quite tight. Yeah, we have Striker there as yeah. well. But the, the, the business is just tough because you're in a in the healthcare space, so heavily governmental revenue uh, regulated. You need to be. It's all about innovation. Innovation is is just. I was going to say innovation is the the biggest thing, and that unfortunately that costs money. <laughs> yeah, but you also need to. You know, that's the issue sometimes with these big companies like Metronics. Can they be still a serial innovator? Yeah, and and uh, then they become too corporate. And and secondly, at a certain moment, like if you're so big and the market is saturated, first of all, it's really hard for you to innovate. It usually takes an outsider to disrupt the market um, yeah. here, but also the incremental value innovation gives to your gives to your portfolio then you need to be innovating everything and have the have the thinking like steve jobs like i'm going to cannibalize my own portfolio because if i don't do it someone else will do it but when i think about look at the medical equipment companies that i the the, the big blue chip companies i don't see this attitude there and then you go to the smaller ones but then you have a lot of single stock risk uh, are no a lot of single product risk yeah. and i i was for a moment literally for a few months i was invested in a stock called uh what was it zini or something like that and they had a small device very promising i thought but actually after after one or two months i felt like no and i was investing in it for the for a growth stock and i felt like no okay no 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 i don't i don't get this business this product is too much single single product risk for me uh i, I want to be out so I, I i i didn't lose on it at all because i was quick enough realizing i made a mistake here yeah okay um and then maybe one last question before we finish up and that is from moelos who has asked us actually three questions um the first part of it is rush um rush pharmaceuticals is down 25 percent would you buy the dip um rush is a swiss company um great european record in terms of dividend increases and look it's probably one of the strongest companies in in europe um still for me it's as I say, the Swiss company, so the tax is, is too high. It's I think it's yielding four percent right now, which is which is quite high. Um, but effectively, that was probably work out with my tax rate and the Swiss tax on top of it. I'm probably still only getting the two percent yield. So, um, but yeah, I think if you are investing in someone like like Rush, 
you need to, I, I think you need to understand the business. Um, and in terms of that pipeline, I, I'm not a real expert in in that. And and I do read, I do read about them a bit, especially with short dividend. But I struggle with the pipeline. They honestly, they list a lot of stuff out, but I don't know if it's if it's going anywhere. Um, so I think to invest in them to buy the dip, like all pharmaceuticals, um, some of them it's easier to understand, but you just need to understand the pipeline. I, I feel in a company like this. Um, the second part of that question is Amler. Um He says it's a potential dividend gem and free cash flow machine. I don't really know a whole lot about them, do you? No, not, no. not, not, not about um, Daimler. But again, Daimler trucks, I, am, I really don't like car companies to invest in. Mm. Really not because of the cyclical nature of the business. If there's a global recession or something like that, companies will be tight in cash they will just not order trucks at that moment in time that that's what history tells us so um no uh may let may look good after 10 years of flourishing growth in the world um we, we've seen of course a bit of COVID, but mm, no 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 not for me and then <laughs> this last one's around buyer um i haven't actually looked at them in, in quite a while i don't know what's going on with that litigation oh. <sighs> they're at 40 euros now i'm i'm holding this bag and and you know this monsanto is still not solved as such uh the new ceo is in uh well didn't didn't get them up so much initially a little bit but i mean i i know i'm talking about share price here but it's not like they're paying a growing dividend so you know uh, but a decent yield let's say it like that it's just so it just looks so undervalued you know i think buyer is suffering here from the sum of the parts in their business i think if i think here if you would split the company in those let's say the seeds business the pharma and what's the other one uh I, I forgot but if you would split it probably you will get as a shareholder way more value out of this company yeah it it, it seems like it's only one decision away from from popping um doesn't it? I, I believe they are intending uh even uh are they considering even uh, uh how you say to, to split but you know we, we saw it with general electric Let's please spin it off we see it with 3m with the healthcare business we see it now uh, with also the trend of, um, I said, these pharma companies to sell their consumer businesses. We saw it with GSK, we see it with Johnson Johnson, with Canview. Um, so I, I can't imagine they will not sell a split because like how it's being operating that, like now, maybe it's just too complex. Maybe it's yeah. just too complex, this holding structure. Yeah, Philips did the same, right? Sold a lot of stuff. Yeah, so uh, just reading it, they're they're examining spinning off the crop sciences or yes. that's the same way held. Um, yeah. So why not both? But we'll see. Um, as as you said, from a share price perspective, it does look undervalued. But Monsanto probably the worst. The it's worst all about Monsanto here. That's, that's what's killing Six, sixty billion down the drain. Okay. Hallelujah. Yeah. Why is this question at the end of the show? <laughs> oh, 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he was always knows that he triggers me with buyer, and he knows he pisses me off. We are sometimes on the on the DM in uh, in Twitter, and we're kind of making fun with each other. But buyer is this talk that's like a red flag on me, like IBM. But I still own buyer, and I, I think I do this to tor torture myself. Yeah. I think it's the ultimate turnaround play. That's that's what it is. This is the ultimate turnaround play. So yeah, probably yeah. I hey, but Bayer Leverkusen is number one, right? In the Bayer yeah, Leverkusen in the German Abby, league. Xavi Alonso, Liverpool legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look there, hey, there's a shining light there. <laughs> yeah. Let's finish on a positive note. I like it. I like what you did there. Um, li listen, uh, thanks a million for all the questions. There is some we, we couldn't get to. Some of them involved um, tickers that we weren't quite familiar with or we didn't want to just give some sort of options. Yeah, we, will, we will reply to them still quickly yeah. before the show is released so that yeah. they don't need to listen to the show if this, this is the reason why they want to listen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And, and thanks again um, to everyone for listening and we will see you hopefully all next week. Remember, both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment advice. Although we do our best, we can promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise, that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast.